This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I am Jesse. And I'm Josh. <laughs> this is a conversation where we save the best and burn the rest of our culture and faith practices. And you'd think that it would get easier saying that, but I always have to manually think when I say those that phrase. Otherwise, I'm afraid that I'm going to mess it up. Like, I always feel like I'm going to mess it up. You know what I mean? Wow. Or am I the, am I the only person who ever, like gets anxiety about messing something up that they've done a million times. I, yeah, that's I, me. I don't, no? I mean, I don't really, when I, when I start on the welcome back to Bird the Haystack, I honestly stop thinking. I mean, I start thinking again once we're in the episode, but like as in. <laughs> no, it's like you stop thinking and then that's it. No more yeah. thinking. Contrary to <laughs> popular opinion, I do actually think. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I, 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 yeah, just as soon as I start that spiel, it's like muscle memory. No, nah, no, that's fair enough. You have, maybe I have to do it another 50 times and then once I've done it 100 times, we'll be good. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you've had I the part know. that's changed because we used to have the old saying, which was a podcast about... Mm. Um, All about culture, faith and memes. Yeah, culture, faith and memes. So your, your part changed. My part hasn't. Ah, just can't deal with these changes. <laughs> Everything's changing all the time. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I have a question uh, before we get into the episode. Do I sound American? Not at all. Okay. If you are listening to this podcast and you think I'm sounding American, please like send us a message and say, yes, you sound American because this has happened to me more than once, but it happened to me recently where I was talking to somebody for the first time, like I just met them and they made this comment like, oh, it's so nice to, to, to hear that accent. It's like, it's like having somebody on the TV. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, your American accent. It's so nice. And I'm like, uh, it was so, you know, when like those awkward situations when you're like, uh, I am not, I'm not what you think I am. <laughs> or like, you know, like they're taking this leap of logic, like, oh, he's American. And it's like, no, I'm not American. It's just, a, it's so awkward. And I just, ever since then, I have been like scratching my head going, do I sound American? Maybe it's just because just you talk a lot. <laughs> Are we bringing this up again? <laughs> no, I'm just going to leave it there. But hey, I mean, the Americans we've had on the podcast, they all, they're all they all self-aware. So I don't think I'm offending anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're delightful. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a weird thing. So look, if you think, I've, if I, if you think I sound American, please let us know. And my, my, my mother used to make um, comments about my accent growing up because I would watch lots of TV and then I would kind of mimic the accents of the people who are on TV. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why. But you know what is f- so funny is I, I know somebody who I don't think she does this anymore. But growing up when she was a teenager, she did a lot of traveling. She lived in Africa. She lived in America. And I always noticed and everybody used to bag her out about this, that whenever she would encounter somebody with a different accent, she would unconsciously start to mimic that accent. Oh, Have you no. ever met anybody like that? Yeah, I've met. Oh. <laughs> my my mum's actually a little bit like that. <laughs> and she'll <laughs> laugh when she hears this because she knows it's true and she's gotten in trouble for it a lot of times. But that's those are her stories to tell, not mine. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny to watch though because you can see when the person who whose accent is being mimicked starts to realize they get really weirded out about it and then it's kind of this awkward thing where nobody wants to say it but everybody's thinking it it is hilarious <laughs> and then afterwards you're like you know you did that right and, and then she'd always be like no what are you talking about oh like, no completely clueless like she didn't know that she was doing it oh man i remember that time where were we it. you and i were in auckland i think at a minister's meeting and we were sitting mm. at, we were having dinner and there was an Irish pastor there. And then you started doing an Irish accent as a joke. 
But then, oh, but then yeah. the turnaround in that was he actually thought your Irish accent was really good. And I was sitting there like, I can't believe this. I am the guy who does the Irish accent and Jesse gets the compliment on this. I was, I was heartbroken. I could have had that. I, I was so happy. Yeah. I was so happy. I was, it was a great moment. It really was. I was like, did you just offend it's, him? And then he turns around and he's just like, oh, that was really good. I'm like, are you kidding? Oh, it's like one of those things where you're like really being cheeky and you just totally get away with it. And, and like you are like that, that mother or dad who's like getting embarrassed or annoyed, but then totally get doubly annoyed when the naughty child, who in this case is obviously me, just totally gets away with it. It is so good. Wait, so wait, 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 wait. Are you saying I'm the dad and you're the naughty child in this, in this podcast? Uh, I wasn't going to. You heard it here first, folks. Podcast. <laughs> Oh, oh man. <laughs> bad Jesse. Speaking bad. Of, bad. Stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know it's funny. It's funny. It was when I was in college, when I was at Avondale, um, I had a roommate mate. His name's Dave, and he's a pastor. So shout out to Dave. Um, but you know how in the Bible, um the the biblical David, his dad's name is uh. Jesse, right? So we'd make all these jokes and I'd be like, who's your daddy? And, and Dave would be like, shut up, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. So that means that Dave <laughs> is now my grandson. <laughs> uh, well, if I'm being dragged into this, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks, Dave. It's like a mythical hierarchy. It's a mythical like family tree. It's great that Dave is supporting his, his dad and granddad's podcast. That's really cool, Dave. <laughs> this is like burn the haystack law that's being created right here. <laughs> this will go. This will, this will go on the wiki page pretty uh, soon. Man, do we have a wiki yeah. page? We should make a wiki. Or someone should make a wiki page. I don't want to make our own wiki page. If you make a wiki page, if somebody makes a wiki page for burn the haystack, I will contribute the most bizarre random law facts so that you can make the wiki page the most beautiful, spectacular mess you've ever seen. I just was about to start typing and look it up and I'm like, no, that's actually a bad use of my time. We should actually talk about what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> because yep. do you know All what, right. Jesse? Do you know what? What? Burn the what? Haystack, what? it's not just a podcast. Burn the what? Haystack is a movement. What? A movement? A movement. Really? So today, folks, we're talking about beating a dead horse. Nah, joking. What? Nah, joking. As if... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, look, this is something that we have talked about a few times and we've referenced it. We started with this idea of institution versus movement, but that's sort of what we wanted to talk about today. Um, I don't know where this all started, but I think this is like a conversation that we've been having forever. So you could say we're beating a dead horse, but at the same time, I like to think of this conversation as... oh, I wanted to say evolving, but I know I'm going to get in trouble again if I say the word evolving, so I'm not going to say it. It's like an ongoing progressive conversation. Progressive is a bad word as well, isn't it? They're all bad words. There are no good words. <laughs> You've taken all of them. Everybody's so triggered, Josh. What, what uh, <laughs> no, I think... Um, I, well, the, the thing is, I, I find it at um, a lot of ministers' meetings, like when the pastors get together, a lot of the training we do is actually based on the idea of... Um, institutions and movements a lot. So I think that's why probably Jesse and I hear it a lot, whereas maybe your average church person um, or outside church person, uh, wherever you sort of fit into this, you probably don't hear this as much as we do, but we hear it all the time. So maybe that's why you you have a perspective of beating a dead horse. But um, I think it is something that we actually, it needs to keep being talked about because it's not... It's not something I think that's just going to be solved, if that makes sense. It, no. It's got to be a continuous no. conversation and a continuous reminder to each one of us. Because mm. I think the like the leadership gurus all say this, and I think it's so true as with like human nature, the natural tendency of any organization as with the natural tendency of any individual human being is not to continually improve and iterate upon what they already have or what they already have but rather to just maintain the status quo um yeah 
and I think that's perhaps where the problem comes from is that our natural tendency as people and therefore the natural tendency of the organizations that we're part of is for them to consolidate power, to become institutional and to actually not just to stop, like to, to not continue to progress. That's yeah. the way I see it anyway. But the, the challenging part of it is, I guess, a movement um, a movement has to institutionalize at some point or it will just fizzle out. It'll only last, you know, a few months at most because, I mean, a movement on its own can't really, it can't sustain. Like you can't, you can't get paid or, or that sort of thing. You can't, you can't make job security and safety on a movement in a way. Like a movement... This is true. Yeah, a movement is... is awesome fleshing out but as soon as it like reaches out there's a as time when you actually have to start bringing in institutional principles uh, but at the same time institutions when they become too institutionalized they become stale and fizzle out so they have to yeah. i guess move <laughs> movementize <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you can see you can see the really tricky position that we're in because you know a lot of people especially in the church world We'll talk about the church like, oh, remember back in 100, 200, 300 years ago when our movement first started, you know, we were a movement back then and it was exciting and people were doing these crazy, amazing things. And, yeah. and look at us now. Look, look how boring and, and, and slow and, and, you know, process heavy we are. <laughs> and it's almost like this, you know, make our movement great again, like make our, you know, faith tradition great again, make Adventism great again. MAGA. And it's like... MAGA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think, I mean, if you put, I guess if it was a spectrum and institution was on one side and movement was on the other, I would say our history is definitely, like when we first started, it was probably way, 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 way on the movement side. And now yeah. we definitely have moved towards the institution side a lot more. <laughs> a I lot. mean, if you look at... If you look at our early history, like just go and listen to Adventist History Podcast. If you're an Adventist and you haven't listened to that podcast and you want to know more about a history or you don't, but you should, like go and listen to that podcast. Um, you will be amazed at the blood, sweat and tears that our early pioneers poured into the movement. We literally, like the movement would not have happened on just the prayers and praise alone of our early pioneers. They literally put all of their money, time and effort into building this movement um so it wasn't just literally a whole bunch of people just praying and it just magically appeared people worked hard at this like they poured their entire lives into this um and now we live in a space where we don't actually have to do that because we are part of this incredibly complex and massive uh institution that really facilitates very slow progression whereas in those early days it, the movement literally wouldn't have it would have fizzled out. It wouldn't have been a movement were it not for the like frenetic, frantic, um, hugely sacrificial actions of these individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I get yeah. If you if you want to go back and look at the Adventist History podcast, you could just probably listen to the first five, ten episodes. If like honestly, the first five, and you'll get a just you'll already get a huge scope of how incredible they how how much effort they put in. Um, so yeah, great recommendation there. Um, so. What happened recently was um, a friend and someone who's been on the podcast, uh, Martin Van Rensburg. He was on with his wife, Alina Van Rensburg. Um, and Martin posts a lot of good stuff on Facebook, <laughs> a lot of quotes, a lot of, um, yeah, leadership thoughts, um, yeah, different graphs and things. And he posted something up and I'd, I've seen it before. I think we've actually seen it at a minister's meeting, but I also have the book that it's from. So it was kind of, and we were talking about doing an episode about this just previously. So this sort of came up and it actually gave us a great framework for us to talk about in this episode today. Um, so shout out to Martin. Thanks for the, thanks for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we thought we could just unpack this and then we'll probably flow on and keep talking about um, some of this stuff yeah, in, in future episodes. Uh, but he basically put up this table of, um, I guess, characteristics of an institution versus characteristics of a movement. Um, and there are quite a lot of them. So I guess um, we're just going to go through it and just, I guess, like have a look and, and just break down what we think about a few of them. Because I think a lot of people, 
they might see something like this, but they don't take the time to actually unpack it. So that's what we're here for. <laughs> and I guess today it's going to be by no means like exhaustive, but um, I guess we'll, we'll just help bring a bit of application. And um, I'll, I'll link this, um, this list in our show notes as well so that if, uh, while you're listening to this, you can, um, you can read it as well. Yeah. Because it is quite an extensive list. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so it actually comes from uh, Timothy Keller, who is just amazing. Anything you can get your hands on by Timothy Keller, make sure you check it out. He's just fantastic, um, incredible writer. Uh, but he has a book called Center Church, Doing Balanced Gospel-Centered Ministry in Your City. Uh, which was published oh, back in 2012. Um, but yeah, so that's where this comes from. Uh, and I guess I'll start off. <laughs> um, yep. But the first sort of characteristic is that institutions go by procedures uh, and movement goes by purpose. So I'll unpack that a little bit. Procedures is when it's held together by rules and procedure, obviously, uh, whereas purpose mm-hmm. is held together by common purpose and vision. Um. I find this one really interesting because I think lately this has just been a huge conversation in Adventism specifically. Um, mm. Like that whole compliance thing we had recently is the biggest example ever of held together by rules and procedures rather than common purpose and vision. Would you mm. agree with that, Jesse? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's all about making sure that everybody is Adventist enough. That's yeah. basically... <laughs> What it's trying to are you advent? You must be this Adventist to play with us, basically. That's <laughs> sort of what it, it. That's what it feels like. I'm not saying that's what it is, but that is definitely what it feels like. That's the spirit. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, I, I would so, agree. Yeah. Um, and things like the the church manual. I mean, not bad mm-hmm. things. Um, it's just it's just like there's so many rules and procedures in place to keep us going. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, it's, how, it's, how many I, I don't times? I It's interesting. Oh, what you saying? How sorry? many times have? Yeah, how many times have you, as a pastor or any of our pastors listening, um, has somebody come up to you and go, "Pastor, what do we believe on this?" Or what's our belief on this particular topic? Whether it's food or uh, marriage or what? You know, pick your topic, whatever it might be. And yeah. what people are trying to do is, what is the rule that we? as a collective church, have made so that I don't have to think and I just have to go, oh, that's what we believe. Ah, you know? uh, yeah. It's um, a good point. It's like, how can I conform? Like, I know that's sort of not what people probably want to think or want to hear, but it is a system that's based more on conformity and making rules than actually seeking truth together. Yeah. And I think um, the challenge is, I mean, rules and procedures aren't bad. Like... They, they're the kind of things that, you know, keep, um, keep our ministries safe and keep things above board to help keep things fair. Um, so it's, it's challenging because, I mean, it, it's really helpful to have rules, but at the same time, I kind of just wish, like they're important and having correct procedure is important. Obviously, you think about vulnerable people that we have in churches. Having correct yeah. procedures is really important. Um, but at the same time, common purpose and vision probably should be more important <laughs> if that makes sense uh, yeah so what's the so what's the flip side to that then the flip side yeah under a movement Pur- oh, purpose held together by a common purpose and vision is what i'm saying so what does that what does that look like well i imagine like you know like so rather than okay how do i I'm trying to think of like an example, but like say say like coming into a church and we have um, okay okay, no, okay a good example is probably actually um, nominating committees right um, <laughs> so I mean I I don't mind nominating committees but I, I don't I I guess I would just wish that rather than us having to have the rule of us having people get together to then select people who would be appropriate to lead a ministry that our common purpose and vision for a church was actually so strong that people stepped up to lead a ministry and we were all aligned enough in the vision that we can just rather rather than having a committee to nominate them, we actually have a committee to empower them. Wow. 
Yeah, I guess that would be an example. Wouldn't that be nice? That yeah, it'd be a bit bit of a different take. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, nominating committees can have their place um, in in some churches, but I just was like, I wish we could actually have a flip side. Whereas rather than dragging people into something, it's actually saying, okay, how can we actually propel you into all that God has for you, and mm. all that this purpose mm. and vision that we have. Um, like we just all have such a heart to do what we've set out to do that we would just be aligned and alive and on fire by um, really, I guess, the purpose and vision that Jesus set for us, you know, when he's saying go out into all the world and make disciples. Like it's just such an incredible vision that we're just like, yes, 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 let's do it. Mm, mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. No, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anything else to add to the, to procedures versus purpose? Well, I just think that, you know, as the prophet said in the Old Testament, um, without vision, the people perish. That's I it. Without, without something to aim for, I think people's spirits perish. You know, they're not motivated. They're not um, excited. They think that maybe perhaps the, the best has come. And really, yeah. as a church, we should be, you know, affirming the fact that the best is yet to come, that there is more for, for us, that God has actually purposed um, more for us to do more people to be transformed. Um, yeah. And I try to, I try to, you know, preach that message in any, every situation that I can. And I know that you do too, Josh, but I think without that vision, uh, we're just kind of playing church, to be honest. So yeah. I think it's super important. Yeah, actually, I guess another really easy example of this as well, it's actually tithe and offerings. Um, mm. I mean, I know it can be a tough topic to talk about, but I guess rather than even us having a rule of saying, oh, you remember, you have to give 10%, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it would actually be sort of more in the New Testament where it talks about um, God loves a cheerful giver, um, you know, where you just Amen. see the the purpose and the vision for how we could use something as simple as finances to make a mission come alive. I think, mm. yeah, it makes mm. giving more exciting and that way you're not it's not a procedure for me to have to give my 10 percent. it's actually like it's a purpose for me i get to do it i get to see amen yeah yeah okay yeah cool all right we gotta get through these um because there's a bunch more so the next one is kind of a little bit more i don't know i feel i feel like it's a bit more self-explanatory um an institution is governed or uh, dictated by responsibilities whereas a movement is governed by commitment. So all these kind of lead into each other in a, in a beautiful way. So in an institution, um, an institution has a culture of rights and quotas of what I'm allowed to do versus what I'm not allowed to do, how much I'm yeah. supposed to do um, with a balance of responsibilities and rewards. And you could also probably say alongside responsibilities and rewards is responsibilities and punishments in terms of if you stray outside the lines, then this is what's going to happen. Mm. Um, so rewards as well as penalties. Um, whereas on the other side, commit, uh, movements have a spirit of commitment. So at kind of what you were saying when you were talking about tithing there, Josh, is a culture of sacrificial commitment, mm. um, which I think is like, yeah, the, what you just said just at the end there is just so so perfect. I'll get to that in just a sec. But with the institutions, this cultures of of rights and quotas, um, people are more concerned with like getting their own way a lot of the time. Um, I, I see this all the time in church, and not just in church, but also in our like our institutions, our hospitals, our schools, and stuff. For those sorts of institutions um, that I've been sort of privy to, like the inside. A lot of the time in those institutions, um, people are very much me-centered. Like, what can I get out of this? Um, it's it's a culture of either like I'm going to get something out of this or I'm going to make sure that I don't get um, screwed around with by my, my by my boss or by my superior. Not in a not in a like a, a deviant way, but in a certain like I've got to make sure that my rights are respected and somebody doesn't violate those rights. Yeah, um, well. It's like a culture of fear. Um, yeah. Not a great, not a great culture. Um, and everybody's always really fearful about anything new because anything new is seen as more work or more responsibility or more, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, it's unfair, poor me. 
Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one because I guess when I look at responsibilities, um, the balance of responsibilities and sacrificial commitment, I do think about like how, I mean, we've talked about boundaries before. Um, yeah. yeah. And I guess, yeah, when I think about it, I'm like, ah, like a sacrificial commitment, it's incredible. But at the same time, I guess you do have to be responsible with it. So I guess that's where the institution comes into play a little bit. Yes, yes. You shouldn't be taken advantage of. And I'm not suggesting that like if you work in a church institution, you should actively allow yourself to be taken advantage of. But when you're in that yeah, sort you of don't situation, be... mm. yeah, you, you don't want to be like in this situation where um, you're only going to do what you're contracted for or what is in your job description. Because if you do any more, then, oh, well, I'm not getting paid for this, so why would I do it? Do you know what I mean? Whereas right. in a movement, you're like, how can I pour everything that I have into this vision, into this movement, so that it can make a difference? You're like, you're feeling this personal responsibility where I can actually make a difference. It's a, it's a, it's a huge culture shift, and so many people just never experience that. Yeah, and, you know, I actually think about as well, um, like just what you were bringing up before with the Adventist history, the sacrificial commitment to it was insane, um, just what people yes. would do to, I mean, it, and it wasn't really, maybe now I think people could think about it as like, okay, what do I have to do to make this stay afloat? Whereas back mm. then it was like, what do we have to do to make this spread like wildfire? Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 All right, what do we got next? What are we doing next? We are going to talk about... Um, <laughs> this one I actually found kind of challenging uh, because I think... Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's... I don't, I don't actually know if this one's as big a problem in Adventism, but I did think about a way to make it applicable. This is maybe okay. probably something more for like businesses and stuff. But uh, extrinsic rewards versus intrinsic rewards. So institutions, they're sort of governed by extrinsic rewards. So that's emphasis on compensation or like outward rewards that you receive. Whereas in a movement, it's those intrinsic rewards. So emphasis on celebration. So it's from inside in a way. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought about this one for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I kind of struggled. But I, I guess what I could think about um, in in our context, in, in church world, and maybe you'll have a different application here, Jesse, um, is yeah. that like, I guess if it's extrinsic reward, you, you need to do something and then people need to see it and like you need to get the praise for it in a way. Yeah, um, recognition. Yeah, like I have to do this so that I can benefit from this. Whereas when mm -hmm. it's an intrinsic reward, it's kind of I want to do this and I inside me i just feel such a sense of satisfaction in doing it that i don't need any reward in a way because the reward mm. is from within you uh and i i guess yeah. i think about if if somebody's doing a ministry for the sake of being celebrated by others it's not not a super healthy thing to do and maybe that's another conversation yeah. um but i guess institutions would be driven by that that people need to actually be celebrated. And I actually think Adventism, I actually think we do this pretty well. I think most people who really serve in Adventism, they get an intrinsic reward from it. We don't need to like pay people for doing things. Um, a lot of the time, we, a lot of the, we have a lot of people that just volunteer and do things without any sort of reward or, or praise or recognition mm. for it. So this one, mm. I actually thought, I think maybe we're more on the movement side with this. I don't know. What do you reckon? Yeah. Um, I've seen both. Okay. I've seen, I've seen people who they do something out of the ordinary or like they go above and beyond. And then when they don't get recognized, they go and sulk. Um, uh. I think it also depends on like, we could talk about love languages, maybe like if you've got somebody who's a gift giver, they do something nice. And if you give them a gift or, uh, flowers or chocolates just to say thank you for the great job that you did maybe that would make their day hmm. on the flip side i've also seen people who tirelessly and faithfully do the jobs that nobody else would do um you know i was talking to one of my church members the other day 
And, you know, we have a, a church set up where we set up the church and we pack it down every single weekend. And he was sharing with me that, you know, for a good stretch of years, it was him and the pastor, the, the previous pastor to me, who did it for like four years every single week. Wow. It was just them setting up chairs, setting up the stage, speakers, cabling, the whole shebang. <laughs> and I just think, and now it's interesting because now he, he, he got to the point where he was like, something needs to change. Otherwise, I'm not doing this anymore. And I was just like, fair enough. Like yeah. you've done this for like four years on your own just with the previous pastor when he was here. You, you deserve a break. Um, but, so I think there's a, certain, there's a certain point that that can stretch to where people are doing stuff because they believe in the vision and they're going to do anything to make it happen. But I think there comes a point where we have to go, or we have to recognize, are we taking advantage of that willing spirit. And I think that's a very fine line that we in the church leadership world have to manage. Mm. Wow, true. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, yeah. yeah, let's move on to uh, okay. the next one. All right, so the next one, uh, we have process versus vision. So in institution, um, process is the thing that drives everything. So. Changes in policy involve a long process. Um, I, many of you know what that's like. All the departments are kind of victims of this and there is a lot of resistance to change. Negotiation is the sort of thing that you just have to do. Uh, whereas in a movement, vision comes from charismatic leaders and it's accepted with loyalty. Now, this is an interesting one because I can see problems on both sides. Like neither one of those is a clear-cut winner yep. in my view at least. <laughs> totally. <laughs> So, in an institution, uh, many of us, myself included, you as well, Josh, many of our listeners, you've been part of a church where it is impossible to do anything. Um, you you want to update the sign out the front, it takes six months to make that decision. Or you just want to change the font on your bulletin, it takes another three months to, to get that through your business meeting and your board and whatever other processes, maybe the board appoints a subcommittee to discuss different fonts and they bring a recommendation to the board, which then has to get approved by the business meeting, which then appoints a further subcommittee to look at the other options, which then report back. Like <laughs> You're giving me a headache. Ridiculous. <laughs> I know, but it's not far off the truth in many cases. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true, yeah. Thing. And yeah, that's actually something that some people, uh, I think we were talking to Ryan Becker about this a few months ago. And he said, you know, for all the hysteria around compliance committees and, and all the supposedly scary changes in our church, the one blessing in that whole thing is our system moves so slowly that it's going to take a long time for any actual scary stuff to, to come about. Yep. Uh, which I don't know if that's a comfort to any of you guys or it's just a further frustration. Um, I know it is for many people, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, anything to add to that, yeah. Josh? I, I think... Um, pardon? Go for it, bro, my dude. Go for it. Oh, man. The call is just breaking up. So I'm just going to talk about oh. my thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, go, for um, go for it. Yeah, I, I think we did sort of touch on this at the beginning. Um but again, this is sort of, I guess, the, the difference between keeping something afloat and actually getting something moving. Um, one just sits in the process. What do we have to do in the church manual to keep everything in above board? And the other one is, okay, um, how can we move forward? And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, like it's it's hard because again, um, process and and policy is is helpful. It's it's really helpful for keeping people safe for keeping things um, just. So, yeah, but vision is just so empowering to know that there's something to, to work towards. Um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I prefer like yeah. if, if somebody if somebody gives me um, something to do, it's not just, oh, here, do this um, and just get it done whenever. I'd rather somebody say, hey, yeah. we need this because of this and um, if you could do it by this, so that we can make this happen. Like, I feel like, oh, yep, that's it. We're going to do it. I'm going to push forward and make sure it happens because I want that and that and that to happen. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's really empowering when there's a vision. And so I think every church needs some sort of vision that isn't just um, 
that isn't generic that actually is for their church. Mm. 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 Yeah, I agree. And this is the problem that I have with um, the vision side of it. So in the movement, a vision comes from charismatic leaders and is accepted with loyalty. I think that's a, a fair statement, but I don't think that it's a complete statement on vision. I think there is something to be said for uh, a group of people coming up with a vision. Like, I don't think vision necessarily has to come just from a leader, like a lead pastor or the CEO. I think vision can come corporately, but at the same time, the danger with coming up with a corporate vision, as in like when you're going through the actual process of um, doing the vision casting and everything like that, is that you there is the danger that it'll come out sort of watered down or like multi, too multifaceted right. and too sort of big to actually achieve. Um, when it comes to vision, though, I've seen this happen. Many of us can probably point to examples of churches where, you know, there was a, a big charismatic leader, big personality, and, you know, they had a vision and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, we're with you. Um, and it ended up being catastrophic in the end maybe the leader had a moral failure or maybe the the leader was just um not awesome in certain areas and things just kind of maybe slid um like i think of mars hill for example that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty tragic example of a church that was like really loyal to their pastor and just completely uh, self-destructed because of some of the inadequacies inadequacies that Mark Driscoll had. Um, so the loyalty thing, I think that if people are going to be loyal, they should be loyal to the vision, not necessarily loyal to the leader. Um, yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah. Assuming it's a good yeah. vision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Assuming, assuming that it's a good vision that's like feasible, that requires a bit of Holy Spirit and actually is like, you know, fits in with scripture and you know, it's all, yeah. So we're assuming that, like we have to assume that. Yeah, totally. No, that's good. Should we go on or all did right. you have anything else? Go on, my dude, go on. All right, so institutions are run by procedural decisions and movements are run by relational decisions. So procedural decisions are decisions made procedurally and slowly. That is such an unhelpful definition, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> And the relational, obviously, decisions made relationally and rapidly. Um, this I I found interesting and I think we sort of did just touch on it before when you were talking about how decisions need to go through all these boards and, and whatever. Um, and I think about uh, a company like Apple and um, I'm not sure what they're like now but I remember Steve Jobs who was like he was talking about the way Apple is structured and he called it the world's biggest startup company um, mm. because he would say that, you know, there was just one leader for each department where instead of like a whole board and all this sort of thing, um, he would just have this person, you're in charge of this whole leg and you just make the decisions um, and we'll just meet together, all of us and the leaders every now and then. Um, and I think that's very relational because I think it's, you know, there's, a, I guess, a relational trust in people to just move and that they'll move with with what you're doing whereas procedural it's it is it is it is good i guess to make sure that it is what everybody wants um and what everybody approves of um so that's why i'm like i do see a pro i guess in having a procedure around major decisions made for your church or for your organization or whatever um but at the same time um like when you when you're connected and when you're moving uh, and there's relationship in it all, then I feel like decisions will be quicker and easier to make because it's all just relationships. But I guess yeah. when you get to a certain size, how is that even possible? I don't, I don't even know. Like when it's a small church, mm -hmm. yeah, it is easy to just make relational decisions and just go, 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 go. But how do you do it when it's huge? I have no idea. I have two things to say on this. Um, first... I think the way that you achieve it is by scaling trust. Um, I think even in our small church, churches, like my church is a small church and we're just trying to get over this. But I think that most Adventist churches, and this is probably not, uh, this is not 
unique to Adventism. I think in a lot of churches, especially small churches, trust is a scarce commodity. We don't trust each other. Uh. Um, we don't trust our leaders. Many people don't even trust their pastor. Um, and I think in that culture, that's why we have to have all these checks and balances, these procedures, because when you have procedures, then you have verification that the person who you've entrusted, ironically, to do the job that you've entrusted them to do is doing it properly. Whereas you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, Apple, you just just use the prime example, some of the biggest churches and ministries in the world, if they behaved like the board and the business meeting and all the checks and balances, the subcommittees and all the mentorship and all the you know supervision, like they would not be able to accomplish what they've accomplished. Um, the only way that I believe that you can actually uh, scale a small ministry or a small church into becoming an effective large ministry or a large church is by asking the question, do we trust these people? And if the answer is no, well, then you have to do some soul searching. But if the answer is yes, then you have to actually trust them to do the job that, that you've you've asked them to do. And if mm. you can't let them do that job, well, then either you, they shouldn't be in that ministry or you shouldn't be there looking over their shoulder. Ooh, heavy words, Jesse. The other thing that I would say, it is heavy words. I know. I believe this though. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying this. I'm not saying that I'm right, but I believe it. Uh, Fair enough. The other, th- the, the other thing that I would say is I was listening to a great podcast, the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. He was interviewing Bob Goff, who is just a crazy man. And is he Bob a goth? was saying... <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, he doesn't sit on the steps of Flinders Street Station in Melbourne in his in his all black and big black leather boots with his sick black way too specific. That is way too specific, Josh. That's the gothic culture I grew up with. Okay, <laughs> listening I'm sorry, to this my culture to him and watching Bear Margera and having Bear Margera posters all over their wall. It's not right. just a phase, <laughs> cool. mom. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's G. It's G O F F. I thought you said goths, like gothic. Okay, I should. It. It should. I should clarify that. So Bob Goff said when he's building his. So he 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 has this this school where he's like training, you know, Ugandans and Ghanans, and he's in all these different countries in Africa, and and it's a wildly complicated. Um, set up and it's doing a lot of great stuff. But he said when he's doing that ministry and people are not coming on board with his vision, he has, has to ask himself the question, am I trying to build consensus or am I trying to build a kingdom? Ooh. And when it comes to building consensus, a lot of people go like, yeah, you got to actually pull people on board. you gotta, you got to lead them. you got to point them in direction and, and guide them there as a shepherd. But I think that... A lot of the time we do that or we disguise like trying to build consensus as um, getting people on our side or getting people on side. And, and, and I think when we're building the kingdom, um, that that has to take precedent. It, it, you can't just be this person who's trying to please everyone all the time, who's trying to tick all the boxes because if you do that, I just believe that you're going to be ineffective. Again, I could be wrong, but I believe it. Wow. <laughs> I'm putting that caveat out there. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, like, I mean, they sound like good thoughts, I guess. But we'll guess we'll wait and see. We're pretty new. So pretty new in ministry. So we're yeah. still working it out. But I mean, I can see where you're coming from. So, and it makes sense in my mind. But yeah, I don't know. Really cool thoughts. I want to, I'm going to re-listen to this episode and mull over that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. Let's, uh, we got to keep moving. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Hit us. Institutions, uh, innovations come from the top down. So they're in- implemented in department silos and they're kind of filtered down to the masses, as it were. Whether, whereas from movements, um, innovations, they bubble up from all the members and then they're executed by the whole. So this is, uh, this is pretty classic. Like I see, we see this all the time. Um, the, the top echelons leadership of our churches, they push these big programs or these big initiatives and they say, guys, we want you all to come on board with this. And then some people adopt it and some people don't. Um, whereas what Tim Keller is saying is that in movements, 
you as the leader do not have to be the one to come up with all the ideas like that. You should not have to feel that pressure. Um, in fact, the pressure that you should feel is the pressure of recognizing talents and ideas from everywhere in the organization and allowing them to bubble up to the top rather than feeling like everything has to come from the top and come down. Yeah. No. Nah. I think this one's pretty pretty self-explanatory to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I it, agree. It's really Yeah. I would love to see more bubbling up, I guess. Me too. Me too. Hmm. I guess the onus is on us as leaders to yeah. actually recognize and empower people to to actually feel like they can say, I have an idea and let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Should I move on to the next one? Let's do it. All right. Um, oh, this is so cool. I love this. All right. And actually, this one really connects to what you were just talking about, I think. Um, so institutions can be fractional, whereas movements can be holistic. Um, so fractional for an institution, it's like it feels like a patchwork of turf conscious mini agencies or departments. So everyone's sort of going in their own direction, doing their own thing. Whereas holistic, it feels like a unified whole. Everything is going towards the same direction. Um, mm. Personally, I think in, in Adventism, from what I've seen, we are very fractional. Um, you could almost say factional. Oh, nice. Nice play on words there, Jesse. That could be a good sermon, actually. <laughs> yeah, might steal that. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like in, even in one city, you can have a bunch of Adventist churches and they're all just doing their own thing. They're not unifying towards a common purpose. I mean, there is, I guess, a, a sort of common purpose, um, but it's it's sort of the like, oh yeah, we're all here to we're all here to um, help people know know Jesus and know the truth. But I guess yeah. if we could get more unified on even more specific things for that city or that town, um, even in churches, you find like there's a bunch of people who are like we're here to do pathfinders and adventurers and nothing else. And, you know, and it's like, I mean, it's great, but I'm like, I, I kind of just wish we, if we could all just get, and again, not to have a go at Pathfinders and Adventurers, it's just a good example. Um, but then if we could actually all get together and get behind a cause that maybe, and, uh, you know, bringing in how does Pathfinders and Adventurers help that cause and how does our deacons become a part of that cause and how does our sermon become a part of that cause? How does our worship, everything become a part of a unified whole? Um, mm. I would love to see more of that, mm. like in local church scale, but also town scale, conference scale. Um, yeah, be awesome. Yeah. I mean, when was um, the last time like you actually saw a movement and you asked, well, "What's this movement about?" And that that person was like, "Oh, well, here's the twenty step plan of what our <laughs> movement is all about. Here are the twenty things that we're passionate about." No, it's usually like one thing. Like we're yeah. here to do one thing. And yeah. do really well. Yep. Oh, so true. All right. We, uh, we're running out of time. <laughs> okay. Let's keep moving then. Um, institutions really value stability, whereas movements really, really value risk. And that's kind of a risky thing to say, but uh, <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's, what, here's what that looks like. So... In an institution, the values are security and predictability. And I would also say to a certain extent control. Um, I'm not sure if that's sort of your experience, Josh, but what I've seen is there's a, there's a real fear for that which is unfamiliar or that which we cannot control um, in, in institutional, uh, the institutional world. Whereas... In movements, the values are risk and serendipity. Now, do you know what he kind of means when he says serendipity? Because I don't actually know what he means when he says serendipity. You're the big words guy. I don't know what serendipity means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I kind of know what he's saying. But in terms of a movement, movements are all based on innovation. So it would make sense that a movement that's based on innovation would also be totally okay and probably outright encourage taking risks because if you didn't take risks, well, there wouldn't be a movement to begin with. True, um, so true. So I think this is a real challenge because when it comes to institutions, when we are working with an institution, we have to remember that institutions are, 
are kind of scared of those risks because a risk is the potential for failure and failure can have monetary or um, spiritual or relational or, you know, um, societal uh, penalties. Yeah, and fully. A lot of the time that's enough of a, just the, just the, the potential for, for that to happen is enough to, for the institution to just shut down and be like, nah, we're not going to go in that direction because it's too risky. Yeah. And I got to say, like, I guess this is sort of a value with institution as well, stability. Um, like the fact that you and I can be full-time pastors in the Seventh-day Adventist church and it's a, it's pretty stable, like really. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's... It, yeah. <laughs> it's not like one week that they're, they're just going to be like, hey, no one paid tithe this week, so you guys don't get paychecks or yeah. something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. so, yeah. and it's like that worldwide. And I think that's just, it's kind of cool, I guess, that we can, I don't have to worry about that. So I guess I can take risks in other areas, but do I do that? Mm. I don't know. Right. Good, good question. Yeah. 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 Um, like, and our, our churches yeah. are pretty stable as well. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, because we have this whole network surrounding our churches. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, uh, we're stable, so shouldn't we be taking more risks with what we do have? I don't know. Yeah, you would think you would think that if you were in a position of stability, that would give you more security to be able to take risks. Yeah, but I don't think we do because we get stable, and then we we just value that stability too much in a way. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a healthy mm. balance to strike there um, because I think it's. Not, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. I think they they can be brothers. I think they can work hand in hand. I think it's just figuring out how to do that. Totally. Um, all right, next. Here yeah, we got three left, people. We got three left. Okay, uh, slow versus quick. This is oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so institutions are slow. Movements are quick, as in with changes. So institutions are so slow to change. And we've all seen this. We've seen it at church. We've seen it at conference. We've seen it everywhere. It's so slow to change. Um, but a movement should be really quick and quickly adapt to its situations. I'm actually going to say the Adventist church in some areas is quicker to change than other institutions. Um, okay. I know it might not feel like that all the time, but I can think of other denominations that would be a lot slower to change and move with the times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can think of organizations as well. We're, we're pretty quick. If something goes terribly wrong in, in our church, we're pretty quick to make policies and stuff to make sure that doesn't happen again to patch it up. Um, mm. But yeah, obviously other areas as in, yeah, other areas we're not as quick at, maybe moving forward. Um, and I think about even for our, even our more, um, I guess even the more conservative minded, um, like you think about, I guess, our, our theology on the end times that, persecution and stuff is coming and all that stuff. We don't talk about that a lot on the podcast, but um, I guess the idea of, um, I guess if the world's going to continue spiraling out of control, then I feel like as a church and as a movement, we actually need to be quick to adapt to that, but we're not set Mm. up for that. So when the eventual end does come, we're actually, by being more institutionalized, we're actually creating and being slower to change we're actually creating more troubles and hardships for ourselves in the future, I guess. I imagine. But, I don't know. But, maybe maybe I'm thinking Josh, too much about it. What? But Josh, isn't that isn't that what we have pathfinders for? <laughs> That's true, actually. So yeah, we've gone full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. true. I, I I agree with what you're saying. And this is, again, I, uh, you know, like all the best companies in the world are really quick to adapt and change to the market and all that sort of thing. And the church, we need to be quick to adapt and, and change, not change our message. The message that we have of Jesus is obviously never changing. Um, it's the everlasting gospel. But the way we portray it, the way that we do church, all those sort of things, those need to actually quickly adapt to the times and places. Absolutely. Cultures, yeah. Absolutely. We just haven't. I don't think we've 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 kind of really taken that idea on. We've we've kind of just like mixed up message and methodology into the same boat. Yeah, I, I would I would I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Which leads into the next point, which is tradition versus future. Um, so, in an institution, the emphasis is on tradition, the past, customs, 
Um, and future trends are dreaded and in many cases even denied. Whereas in a movement, the emphasis is on the present and it's on the future. Like when I listen to Erwin um, McManus, one of Josh and Meyer's favorite preachers, when he preaches, his emphasis is always on the present and the future. Like he's always talking about the future. Um, and that's just super encouraging. And there's little emphasis on the past. So what I see in this, and Josh, feel free to jump in at any time, is that like in institutions, our emphasis is on how things used to be, on those rose-tinted glasses, on like remembering our roots and our heritage and 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 looking back to the past with um, a sort of nostalgia, like back then is how things were great. And it's almost like trying to recapture that. Um, yeah. Whereas in movements, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the amount of times that Jesse and I have sat through things where um, somebody is telling us how great the past was, you know, in the how they did ministry in the, the 50s and the 60s and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, we just need to get back to that. Or they go back right to our pioneers. And there are elements, I guess, the character of our pioneers that we need to go back to. Um, the spirit, man. Yeah, yeah. But the practical side of it, no, I'm good. I, I actually want to move on to something, <laughs> something new because I actually believe like God is doing a new thing. Um, even in Adventism, there's a new thing coming. And I think we can all sense it. A younger generation, we all know that there are new and greater things coming. Um, but do we believe it and are we faithful in it? Are we actually looking forward to that? And I think there is value in, in honoring the past and our heritage. Mm. Uh, that's mm. kind of the amazing thing about being Christians and um, having, you know, the, the, the Bible as an authority in our lives. We are actually holding that time that, wow, wow, God blessed Abraham. Wow, God blessed Moses. We're honoring the past, um, but at the same time, all of us are looking forward to the future and what God wants to do now and ahead. And it might not look like Absolutely. what we've seen before, but we actually need to be ready for that. And that's not easy, I think. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's a good uh, way to lean into our final point. What is that, Josh? Uh, oops, just kicked my water bottle over. Um <laughs> Sorry. Uh, institutions have ten tenure and movements have results. Um, so institutions, they jobs given to those with accreditation, accre, ac, I, can't, I can't, accreditation, accreditation and tenure, whereas in movements, jobs given to those producing the best results. This one I find such a postmodern problem. <laughs> <laughs> like okay i can learn so much from youtube and like podcasts like i'm legit uh, like trying to learn sound engineering now just all through youtube and that sort of thing i don't know if i'll ever be quite as good as somebody with a degree but at the same time all the work and study that i've done will never be recognized because i don't have the accreditation this is true this is true yeah and yet the future of education and i think spiritual learning is in visual and auditory learning. It's not necessarily in degrees and masters and PhDs. I, I believe. I think that I think that um, education, spiritual discipleship, from ages past, has been something that people have passed down to other people. And now that we live in this age where you could be a sound engineer or a musician or a writer and be able to put YouTube videos up on the internet to be able to teach other people how to do that. And then now you're like democratizing something which you maybe had to go to university to learn. Like, I think that's the future. And I think it's the same way in the church space. Yeah. And this is hard because both you and I went through and got the accreditation we needed to be pastors. Do you know what I mean? Both of us <laughs> went to Avondale and I don't, I don't resent that time at all. I love that time no, and I'm all. so grateful to have the degree and how much I've learned. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's just a challenge though because it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we move towards actually being quick enough and nimble enough um, <laughs> to give the right person the job, the one who's actually producing the best results, not necessarily just the one with the paper? I don't know. Yep. That's hard. Yep. It's really and hard. I think, I think this is a problem in our church particularly because the 
road for advancement, like the la- the corporate ladder, as it were, in the Adventist church is often seen as getting to conference, then getting into the union, then getting into the division. And then maybe if you're like super lucky and super talented, maybe then you'll go to the GC and you'll get to move to America and you get to go to the, the GC office. Uh, like that's that's our corporate ladder. Like that's yeah. when we think of what if I'm going to be a quote unquote successful pastor or treasurer or clerk or whatever it might be, that's the pathway to um, to success. It's not necessarily um, we're going to reward you if you grow your church to a hundred more people yeah. than they were there last year. Like nobody gets that recognition. You might get a little pat on the back, or somebody might come and do an article to you. But at the end of the day, like if you get the results, a lot of the time, even if they're really kind of pathetic results, I'm not judging anybody, but like a lot of the time your pathway is the conference and your efficiency and effectiveness instantly goes down because like at one point you're in a church baptizing a hundred new people a year and then suddenly you're in the conference and you're far away from that church and your ministry is completely gone. Hmm. Um, And that kind of frustrates me, you know, which is why like I've said to Karina many times, like I don't want to, I don't want to work at the conference office. Like I love our conference, like admins. I love our, our conference president, our lead pastor. I love our ministerial secretary. I love the team. I think they do amazing work. It's just not me. Yeah, um, I think that's that's the thing. Like I, I can see how people could misconceive all that as a corporate ladder in a way. And, you know, you, you, you could perceive it as that. But realistically, each of those roles is a calling. And that's what I want to continue seeing it is right from our general conference president to a local church clerk. It's not, or an elder or a head elder. It's not, it's not the ladder and climbing up. It's, it's a calling. And yeah. I think that's part of maybe what this doesn't really, yeah, this, this doesn't really say in this thing, but um, a movement is actually moving towards your calling, not just being correct mm. or something. Yeah. Like if you're an amazing church planter, don't, go and work for the division or the the union continue planting churches like does that not make sense i don't know (laughs) but i don't know i guess there comes a time when you have to then teach your expertise to others possibly yeah i don't know does that does that expertise mean working in an office and then traveling the rest of the year i don't know but if you're not well okay this is interesting i guess because if you've got a gift in church planting and you're helping others plant churches, are you still using your gift in church planting? I don't know. <laughs> good, good question. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know either because like you can't really measure like my church is, I'm no longer part of a church. I'm no longer leading a church. I'm no longer part of a church that's planting churches. I'm just going around and inspiring other people. But how can I measure my effectiveness in that sense? Yeah, it's a hard question. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Ah, that was all right. Well, that's that's everything on the list. We are out of time, um, but that is, I guess, our thoughts. Well, not really our thoughts. It's somebody else's thoughts, and we've added on to them um, on institutions <laughs> versus movements. So, what do you reckon of Adventism? Are we more of an institution or a movement? Yeah, and in the future, we will make an episode where we kind of take what we talked about today. And we do a little bit of vision, visioning and a little bit of dreaming about perhaps the future of what Adventism may look like if we were to lean in one particular direction or to take some of those. I don't think we can take all of those. I, I no, don't know no. that they're all super helpful. Um, but I do think there are some lessons that we could apply. And so we'll talk about that in a future episode. Yeah, like a bit of dreaming about what Adventism could look like. The Adventism of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Which is something that Josh and I just love to geek out about. I like. I know I made the joke at the beginning of the episode about beating a dead horse because it does feel like we've talked about this a lot. But we talk about it because we're super passionate about it. I know many of you are, especially those of you who are in a local church or maybe you're studying theology. You just kind of want to see Adventism be all it can be. And, and so do we. So that's why we want to talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, give us your thoughts. Um, what do you reckon of institutions and movements? Are we totally wrong? Is Adventism an absolute movement and we've missed the, the point? Or uh, do you reckon it's an institution? Um, mm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you want to do that, you can send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram, whichever social media platform you would like to pick. You can also send us an email at burnthehaystackpodcast.gmail.com. All of those links will be in the show notes and yeah. that and, will be beautiful. And send us a message anytime. You could listen to this episode like four months from now, but hey, I'm still or two years from now. I don't, I don't mind. Just send us a message if you, uh, to hear your thoughts on it. I'm so keen to hear everybody's thoughts on this stuff. Uh, we just love hearing from, from you guys and it makes this feel like a bit more of a community rather than just us two talking into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> Screaming into the void. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, well, that that is us. So that is Josh and Jesse out.